Psalm chapter 41. As you're turning there, I have to share with you uh, the most 2020 thing ever to happen to our church. Uh, It seems to be a phrase we use a lot this year that's so 2020. Uh, On Thursday evening, first ever Christmas Eve service, it was magical. The snow was falling. People came in the midst of a a level one snow advisory. It It was awesome. And we get to the end of the service, and myself and Pastor Joe are standing by the door here, Um, greeting people as they're leaving, and all of a sudden we see a police car coming down the lane here, which is relatively normal. We're thankful for the police here in our city and their their attentiveness back here, but the police car then stopped in front of the church building. At this point, me and him are sweating a little bit. We're like, what did we do? Then the police car pulled into a parking spot in front of our building, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, what's happening at Living Hope right now? And the police officer got out of his car, and he walked up to the building, and said, hello, officer, how can we help you? He said, we got a distress call from this location. I'm thinking, who's distressed? I don't even know what's going on. And I said, well, I said, well, I think everything's okay. This is a church, and we just had a church service. I said, but you're welcome to come in and look around. I said, if you need to talk to people. I said, I don't think anybody's distressed here, but you can come in and check. And here's where it gets so 2020. He goes, well, he said, when the dispatcher answered the phone call, they just heard people singing. So someone in our church service pocket-dialed the police station, and the dispatcher heard us praising Jesus over the call. And so what makes it so 2020 is that Living Hope, if you've learned anything, we uh, tend to share the gospel in unconventional ways. And so this way we did it by dialing 911 and with the dispatcher. So that's a great memory. It wouldn't be Living Hope if our memories were not full of a little bit of chaos as well. So Psalm chapter 41 today, um, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word last Sunday of 2020. And I'm thankful for you here, thankful for those tuning in online as well. God's word says this, the first three verses of Psalm 41. It says, happy is the one who is considerate of the poor. The Lord will save him in a day of adversity. The Lord will keep him and preserve him, and he will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to the desire of his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed, and you will heal him on the bed where he lies. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this day. Father, thank you so much for the miracles we've been able to be a part of, live in, and witness throughout 2020. And God, as we close out this year as a church this morning, we pray that your spirit would be among us as you have been every Sunday this year. God, would you teach us and grow us into the likeness of Christ more and more every week when we gather. And Father, may you mobilize us towards mission like never before in this coming year. God, you are so kind to this church, and I pray that you would keep us under your hand of kindness. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to be honest with you and share with you this morning how the Lord worked and spoke in my life uh, these past few days, being like you. Uh, Christmas week, my week here at the the church was shorter, and so like many of you, Wednesday was the last day uh, in the office for me, and I had every intention of coming out of Philippians chapter 3, and we're hoping over the next four or five weeks to finish our journey in Philippians that we started early in 2020 back in March. And I had every intention to be in the book of Philippians this morning, but as Wednesday morning rolled around, knowing, you know, Thursday or Wednesday, Thursday was Christmas Eve, Friday was Christmas, yesterday we moved the majority of the stuff into our new home, and the week I just knew was going to get away from me, and I, I knew I wasn't going to be able to devote enough time to adequately and purposefully study Philippians 3. And so on Wednesday morning, as we were wrapping up some things around here to get ready for Christmas Eve the next day, I just started praying 
I said, Lord, I I know I'm not going to do justice to Philippians 3. So God, what would you have me teach instead? Because I want to make sure that we spend adequate time in Philippians 3. I think the Lord intentionally had us in that book this year. And as I kept praying about that throughout the day, Wednesday, before I headed home that afternoon, I kept thinking about our mission statement as Living Hope Columbus. You probably read this on your bulletin a thousand times. We say it quite often. But our mission as a church is to help people find and follow Jesus. From day one, that's why we've existed. That's why we do what we do. That's why we're involved in the things we're involved in. That's why we teach the Bible and sing the Bible. Everything we do stems around that idea of we want to help people find and follow Jesus. And as I was praying through that and just continuing to ask the Lord, like, all right, Lord, I'm not going to have time to do Philippians 3. What do you want me to teach instead? I was reminded of back in the end of November, I got to teach a message at my home church here in Psalm 41. And in Psalm chapter 41, the whole premise of the first three verses of this chapter is this idea of helping people. Our mission statement, helping people find and follow Jesus. Psalm 41, helping people. And I wrote that message specifically for that church, and really it was about living hope, because they're one of our sponsors. They sponsor us through prayer. They pray for us. They check on our church often. And I wrote that message about our church And the Lord reminded me as I was praying through that, and he said, you know what? You never shared that message with Living Hope. It was a message about what God has done through Living Hope, but we've never shared that message with the church. And so I I reworked this a little bit, but I feel like to close out 2021, that I wanted to share this message with you. And I want this to really serve, and I think God sovereignly orchestrated this. Some of you are probably listening to this now and you're like, you're so lazy, you just used an old message. Chill out, all right? We'll go back to Psalm 3 next, or Philippians 3 next week. But really the intentionality, I think, is the Lord sovereignly wants us to hear Psalm 41 this morning. Because this is who we are as a church. This is what we do as a church. And I want this to serve as a springboard and platform for 2021. Friends, 2020 literally was the greatest year in the history of Living Hope Columbus. And we're only three years old, so we don't have much history. But it was the greatest year ever for our church on so many different levels. 2021, I believe with all my heart that Jesus is going to do more. I believe in Ephesians 3.20, immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine in Christ. But I think it's going to continue to stem from this idea of helping people. And as we help people, they're going to find Jesus. So let me pray for us one more time, and then we're going to journey here through Psalm 41. Father, again, thanks for your goodness this morning. And Jesus, for everybody here in the room, those online, those listening later, God, would you soften our hearts and soften our spirits this morning to hear from you. God, a word that I believe from here in Psalm 41 that we need to hear as a church, that I need to be reminded of as well as a follower of Jesus. And God, something very specifically, specific and intentional, Lord, that you've called our church to do. God, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me rewind in history a little bit. Three years ago, almost four years ago when we started our church, we started with the question, how can we help? Many of you were there in those early days in the core team meetings in my living room up in Marysville. And we used to put post-its all over the wall and we were trying to figure out ways that we could serve people. How could we bless people? We just wanted to figure out the answer to that question, how can we help people? That was so much of what we did. And early in the process, we were introduced to an organization we talk about here all the time. They partner with us at the Finding Hope Center now. That's the Welcome Warehouse. 
And the Welcome Warehouse is an organization that helps people who are in need. Many of them are on refugee status, have moved here from another country. They're restarting their lives. And you've probably heard this story before, but this is going to serve as a little bit of a, a platform for us today. We found out through that meeting that they delivered a lot of mattresses. Why do you think we do what we do now? And what Pastor Joe and I found out was to deliver mattresses, they were using a minivan. Now, if you can imagine, how many twin mattresses can you fit in a minivan? Maybe two. How many queens can you fit in a minivan? Maybe one. How many kings? Zero. All right. So it was not the most, uh, like the best way to do this process. And so they were making multiple trips all over the city to deliver these beds several times a month. Well, back at that, those days, the Lord had been kind to our church, and we were given a 14-foot box truck. If you look in the back of our church building, it's still sitting back there because it's broken now, all right? But we still have it. It just doesn't work. We were given that truck, and we offered up our services. The answer to the question of how can we help was we need help delivering beds. And much of who we are as Living Hope stems from an instance that occurred a few months after we offered to do that. If you've heard this story before, I don't care. We need to hear it again. Pastor Joe and I, one afternoon, we loaded up this box truck with a few mattresses, headed off to an apartment complex on the south side of Dublin. We walk up to this house, knocked on the door. We were greeted by a family with two little boys, no more than five or six years old. You remember this, Joe? And we walked back to our truck, and we pulled out of that back of that box truck two twin mattresses. That's all we had. We walk back up to the door, and as we're walking through the threshold of this door, friends, I will never forget this moment, and I believe much of what Jesus is doing in our church was birthed from this. As we walked through the threshold of that door, there was a little boy, five years old maybe. He threw his hand straight up in the air, and he said these words, I finally have a bed to sleep on. He, they'd lived here in the States for a few months. I don't remember exactly how long, and he threw his hands up, and he said, I finally have a bed to sleep on. He'd been sleeping on the floor. That changes you. When I went through church planting training, they asked us the question, what can your church do that 10,000 other churches in your area aren't doing? And the Jesus birthed something in Living Hope Columbus in that moment. We knew that Jesus was calling us in a very unique and specific way to help people because there were folks literally less than five miles from here that were sleeping on the floors of apartments and they didn't have a place to lay their head at night. We knew Jesus was calling us to help people. And here's a lesson I've learned. And if you're a note taker, I'd write this down. Then we're going to look at Psalm 41. Ooh, our kids are getting rowdy. I, I would write this down. The gospel travels fastest on the back of helping people. The gospel travels fastest on the back of helping people. And that's the truth that we're really met with here in Psalm 41, specifically in verse 1. Notice what, what David writes here in, in Psalm 41. A little bit of context here. This is a psalm written by David. The first 41 psalms are written and all attributed to King David. The last of the psalms are various other authors in this book. And I love Psalm 41 here because the first three verses are very celebratory in nature. As David is talking about helping people and being blessed and consideration of the poor, David is really celebratory in nature in his writing. He has this excited tone when he's talking about this idea. But look at verse 1 with me. He starts right out of the gate with this word, happy. Your Bible might say, and I think this is a better translation, your Bible might say, blessed. It's a word that means someone who has gained divine favor. Because of their actions, God's favor is upon their life. This is an important word for us to understand. 
And David tells us here in verse 1, if I want to be happy, if I want to be blessed by God, what is the, the necessary response? What do I have to do in order to be blessed by God? Look at what he says. Happy or blessed is the one who is considerate of the poor. He says, if you want to have God's blessing on your life, if you want to experience what happiness really is, then we have to learn to take the attention and focus off of ourselves. We have to push away selfishness, and we have to learn to focus on other people. We have to take my needs and put them on the back burner and say, what do other people need from me? That's the Christian life. It's a life of sacrifice for the benefit of others, for the glory of God. One simple truth here in Psalm 41.1 that's so important, that the blessing of God follows helping people. I want God's blessing on my life. So how do I do that? By helping other people. Note too, this is important, the word poor there. When we hear that word in a Western context based on our experience, we think of one type of person. In the Jewish understanding of this, that would not just refer to somebody that was uh, low on income. The poor represented a variety of people. The poor represented not only those who were on financially hard times, it represented the orphan. It represented the widow. It represented the sick and the immigrant as well. When you see the word poor in the Old Testament, it represents an entire swath of people who just needed your presence and they needed your help. And the children of Israel, the Jews, were called as children of God to care about people specifically. Friends, as a church, we believe we're called to the same thing, to help people. So let me give us three takeaways here from Psalm 41 that I think are really hopefully going to serve as a springboard for this year. Point number one is this. To help people, you have to see people. To help people, you have to see people. This is a struggle for me. Like, like some of you, I'm a very type A. I like lists, right? So if you need me to do something, you need to make me a list. I like to check off boxes. I like to live by Google Calendar. This is just the way that I'm wired. And oftentimes, when you're wired that way, you can miss people, right? Often, I can get so focused on getting to the destination that I, I miss the journey. <laughs> you guys ever been there? I, I'm going somewhere, and I miss the process, I have to get this done so I miss the people that Jesus is putting in my path on the way. Why? Because I get tunnel vision in that journey. But what does David remind us? That you have to be considerate of the poor. The ESV, which is another Bible translation some of you use. The ESV says, blessed is the one who considers the poor. Let me give you an idea to chew on this morning. You know there's a difference between glancing at somebody and considering somebody? I think as Christians, I'm so guilty of this. This is me repenting publicly this morning. I'm so guilty often of glancing at people and not pausing to consider people. But if the gospel travels fastest on the back of helping people, I have to learn as a Jesus follower to consider people more. I can get so focused on my agenda, my plans, my life, that I miss the people that Jesus is laying in my path because I'm naturally inclined towards selfishness like all of us are. I read Psalm 41.1 several weeks ago, and I was reminded of Acts chapter 3. You guys remember the story of Peter and John and the lame man at the temple? You can turn there real quick if you want to. I'm going to read a couple verses from Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3 says that Peter and John were going to the temple at 3 in the afternoon for a time of prayer. It was very customary for Jews to go multiple times a day to the temple to pray. And as they're headed to the temple, they're met there at the temple gate by a, a paralyzed man. The Bible says that he had been paralyzed from birth. And he'd been paralyzed so long that it was just common practice for this man to be laid outside of the temple every day. 
He couldn't provide for himself because of his physical ailments. So what he would do, he would lay there every day and he would beg for money from those who were entering the temple. The temple was the Old Testament equivalent, if we could make the, the comparison here, of, of the church. So just imagine a church, several people coming in on a Sunday morning, and you have this guy who's been paralyzed from birth, just laying there on a mat. And as every person comes in, every follower of God came in, they would, he was just begging for money. Now, think about this for a second. Acts chapter 3 makes it very clear that he had been there many, many years doing this. Many days over many years begging for money. I think I could take a little liberty this morning and, and probably guess that this man had become white noise to those who were entering the temple every day. Imagine you're coming to the temple two, three, four times a day as a Jew, and that same man in the same spot saying the same thing over and over as you're going to the temple to pray. Eventually, he just became white noise to the point where I think we could make the statement that many people had gotten very good at glancing at him. There he is again. There's that guy saying the same thing, still asking for money. But in Acts chapter 3, verse 4, something changes. Look, as Peter and John were entering the temple, verse 4 of Acts 3 says, Peter along with John, what did they do? They looked straight at him. They looked straight at the man and they said these words, look at us. Place yourself in the story for a second. Can you imagine this moment for this paralyzed man? Because perhaps, I think we could say, uh, when was the last time that somebody had actually paused and looked at him? When was the last time somebody actually paused and engaged him in conversation rather than just glancing at him and walking by? When was the last time that one of these followers of God said, you know what, rather than go in and pray, I'm going to pause here and engage him because he needs me right now. I can't imagine when the last time was for this man, but Peter and John we're making a difference in his life. Friends, hear me this morning. If we want to make a difference in the world in the name of Jesus, we've got to start laying aside our agendas and our plans and looking for divine appointments that Jesus is laying out in front of us. Can I give you a story real quick? Uh, three or four weeks ago, Pastor Joe, myself, and Scott, we were able to, to do some stuff for the Welcome Warehouse. And we, it had been a long day. That we filled up a 22-foot trail with stuff. I, th I think I may have shared this with you. We were tired. We were sweaty. We just needed showers. Had appointments to get to that night. And we go into this family's apartment. Two families, one from Algeria, one from Egypt. And we were ready to get home. We all had places to be. But they wanted us to stay. They want us to stay and simply sit in their living room and just have conversation with us. They just wanted to hang out for a little bit. And so you know what we decided to do in that moment? To pause. To lay aside our agenda. It didn't matter if we were going to be late. It didn't matter if we were tired. It wasn't about us in that moment. It was laying aside our personal agenda for the benefit of other people. Can I tell you, man, that was some of the best dessert I've ever had in my life. It was awesome. Orange juice and cookies. It was wonderful. It was the greatest I've ever. We laughed they, we found out that one of the ladies, I think, when she, I think the lady that was from Algeria, said that she could speak French. And so our intern, Scott, Scott's here today, Scott, Scott said, oh, I can speak French too. And so the lady, because he took French in high school. It's like when you take Spanish in high school, you're like, I don't know how to speak it anymore. He's like, I can speak French too. And so the lady just starts rattling stuff off in French to, to Scott. <laughs> she gets off this whole statement. Scott looks at her, he's like, we. Oui. <laughs> you don't know how to speak French, goofball. It was awesome. It was absolutely awesome. Listen to me this morning. 
much of the ministry we do with Finding Hope Center and all this other stuff is, is to our Muslim friends, Buddhist friends, Hindu friends. Um, do you know how much it means to people from that culture when you press pause in their life? When a Western American presses pause and steps into their world? Because of our stereotypes, cultural influence right now, many of our friends from other countries, especially the Middle East, are stereotyped. They're mocked. They're ridiculed culturally. And so for a Christian to just step into their world for a little bit, two weeks ago we did a delivery with the Finding Hope Center and we went back to that same house. I wasn't there that time, but Pastor Joe and Jenny and Drea and all these folks, and guess what happened again? They got a whole bunch of dessert again and orange juice and stepped into their world. And then on Christmas Eve, Pastor Joe was able to stop by there and they had baked a big plate of cookies for his family for Christmas Eve. Friends, we don't know what Jesus is going to do with that relationship, but what could he do with that relationship? Because some Christians are willing to press pause on their agenda and say, it might be an inconvenience for me. I have some place to do, some place to be, something to do, but I'm going to press pause and enter their world. You see, to help people, we have to see people. Here's point number two. To help people, you have to love Jesus. That is so simple, but track with me here. Psalm 41.1, the verse that we just read, I believe is an equivalent of the great commandment in Matthew chapter 22. Because David said in, here in Psalm 41 verse 1 that the evidence of God's favor on my life is when I have consideration for the marginalized, the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the immigrant. When I love those kind of people, David says, then God's blessing will follow me. The great commandment in Matthew 22, 37 through 39 says that the evidence of my love for God is my love for other people. They're very similar in how they play out here. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. We got several verses we're going to look at this morning. If you remember an interaction that Jesus had with the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they tried to trap him on one, one occasion, several occasions. And they asked him, they said, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? What they were trying to do was get Christ to undervalue a portion of the law of Moses, thereby for getting Jesus to commit blasphemy. All right, so they were trying to trap him, but Jesus instead gives a summation of all of God's commands. Matthew 22, 30, 37 through 39. So Jesus says to him, to this Pharisee, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Then what does he say? To love your neighbor as yourself. We sum that up in one simple truth. If I love Jesus, I'll love people. It's really hard to love Jesus and not love people. If you love Jesus, you're going to love people. It's just the way it works. And so if the great commandment is true, which it is, then my love for Jesus that I claim to have as a Christ follower should then naturally overflow to me wanting to love people. At Living Hope here, we believe that the natural conclusion for a church that loves Jesus a lot is that he's calling us to run to the marginalized, to run to the orphan, the immigrant, and the widow, and the poor. That if we really love Christ, that we're going to naturally want to do those things, to be mobilized on mission to the marginalized. Psalm 41, verse 1. Here's a, a little, and again, some of this is just what the Lord has been teaching me, and I just want to share this with you. Several weeks ago, I wrote this down in my journal, and I think it's so important. God, I've been chewing on this a lot. If your Christian life is boring... I hear that sometimes. I just feel like my walk with God is stale. I just feel bored in my walk with Jesus. If your, Christmas li Chris Christmas, if your Christian life is boring, hear me. It's really your own fault. 
okay? If you, if you live a boring Christian experience, it's really your own fault. And, and if, if the extent of your Christian, Christian faith, your Christianity, doesn't really go beyond gathering for worship, giving a little bit of your income to help move the mission forward, and maybe reading your Bible two or three times a week, if it doesn't extend beyond that, it's really your own fault. Because, friends, Jesus has given us an invitation, John 10.10, 10, to this abundant life, being involved in the activity of God in this world. And the activity and the opportunity are all around you. Listen, stick around living hope for three days and tell us, like, I want to do something crazy. Like, give me the opportunity. I want to experience a third world mission trip here in in Dublin. I just want to be involved in something kind of crazy. It's kind of cool, kind of wild. Stick around for three days. I promise you something will come up. Sometimes it's through opportunity laid in our lap. Sometimes Pastor Joe and I are sitting in the office and be like, this is a crazy idea. Let's try it. Just stick around long enough and you can join on mission and what Jesus is doing. Stick around long enough, man. I'm telling you, but if your Christian life is boring, it's your own fault. you got to get involved in what Jesus is doing in the world around us. And there's plenty of opportunity to do that. Now, now, side note, I'm all for gathering for worship. Why do we do this? This is the pep rally to mobilize us to mission throughout the week. That's why we gather on Sundays. I'm all for giving. Giving is extremely important in the life of a believer. Do you know why you give to a local church? You know why you do that? Number one, it helps move the mission forward. That's important. But here's a little principle I learned years ago. Did you know that anybody in their right mind can live off 100% of their income? It doesn't take rocket science. You just set a budget and you do it. It actually takes faith to live off 90%. Ever thought about that? Anybody can live off 100. We don't talk about giving a lot around here, so if this offends you, email Joe, because I'll just delete it. (laughs) Anybody can live off 100% of their income. It takes faith to live off 90 Why do we encourage Bible reading? Because it it helps keep a line of communication open between you and Jesus. If I never talked to my wife, my relationship with her would deteriorate and fall apart. But I read the Bible and pray every day to keep my line of communication open. All of those are important, but those mobilize me to mission. Those help me fall in love with Jesus more, and it mobilizes me to want to be on mission to the marginalized. That's why we do those things. Hey, turn to Matthew chapter 25, a couple pages over from where we just were. I want to give you another example of this. Of to help people, you have to love Jesus. Jesus tells a parable here in Matthew chapter 25. He says, someday in the, near, in the future, I'm going to separate the sheep from the goats. That's a, a, a metaphor of where he's going to separate Jesus' followers from those who don't follow Christ. So this is an end times judgment thing that's about to occur. And he says in Matthew 25 that those who are Christ followers, you put your faith in Jesus, that you're going to be invited into an eternity with Jesus. That's pretty incredible. Matthew chapter 25, 35, and 36. And he says something. This, I love this. He says something so specific and unique to those who are Christ followers in this end times judgment. He says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. That's quite the praise and, and commendation from, from Jesus to a, a Christ follower, like right before they go into eternity. Jesus is like, you guys are awesome. You served me so well. But look what they say in verse 37 and 39 through 39. But the righteous, that's the Jesus followers, will answer him. And they'll say, Lord, quick question. When did we see you hungry 
When did we feed you? When were you thirsty? When did we give you something to drink? Lord, when were you a stranger? When did we take you in? When did we clothe you? When were you sick? Or when were you in prison? Or when, were, when did we visit you, Jesus? Jesus, we did those things. But when did we do them directly to you? Here's the distinction here. This crowd of people looks at Christ and go, we were just doing that for people. When did we do that directly for you? We were just loving people because that's the natural overflow of what a Christian does. Jesus, we love you, so what were we doing? We were serving people. Isn't that what we're supposed to do? But verse 40, they didn't realize this. Notice what Jesus says. He says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. It's the natural overflow of someone who loves Jesus. That when I really love Christ, I serve people. My love for Jesus compels me to do that. It compels me to help people. Two, two years ago on Easter, we, we hosted our, our first resurrection dinner at, at my, my old house. Some of you were there for that. It was, it was wild. And we had like 70 people over from a variety of countries. You've probably seen pictures or heard this story before. So we organized this, this big meal, and it was wonderful. People from Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, um, Syria, uh, different religions, Muslim, Hindu, Sikh. It, it was just incredible. Shared a meal together. Our friends shared the gospel with the whole room. And I remember at the end of it, I was standing in my backyard because there was a young man out there with his little boy. He was two, three years old. And this young man, he was probably in his late 20s, early 30s, he walked up to me and he said, I got a question for you. Why y'all do this? Why did you guys do this for Easter? Why did you invite all these people over? Why did you cook this meal? Why did, your, why did you, all these different people that I've never met before, so many moving pieces, why did you guys do this? I looked at directly at him. This guy's still a friend of mine. I said, it's because we're Jesus followers. This is what we do. Because we're Jesus followers, this is what we do. We just want to love and serve people. That's what we do as Christ followers. And the words that came out of his neck, his mouth next broke me. I'm telling you, man, so much of who living hope is was birthed from so much of this stuff. He said, you know, he said, I've lived in America for 20 years. He's, he lived overseas in the Middle East for years. He said, I've lived in America for 20 years. He said, you know, this was the first time I've ever been invited into the home of a Westerner. God help the church. How can you live in America for 20 years and never even be invited over to your neighbor's house? You see, friends, if we really love Jesus, we, we want to serve people. We want to help them. We, we've become, and I'm, 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 I'm preaching to the choir. I'll sit down and talk to myself if I need to. I've become too comfortable with my world where the gospel compels me to run into the darkness and into the muck and towards the marginalized. i got to run to it. And be, I mean, i got to dive head first into the darkness. And how does that happen? I serve people well. That's what the gospel calls us to. Here's the very last one, and we're almost done. To truly help and serve people, you have to understand blessing. Verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 41. We're not going to spend a ton of time here. But notice what David says. So he says, you're blessed when you're considerate of the poor. And then he talks about blessing. He says, here's some of the ways that you could be blessed by God. He said, the Lord will save him in the day of adversity. 
The Lord will keep him and preserve him. That was verse 2. He will be blessed in the land. You will not give him over to his enemies. The Lord will sustain him on his sickbed. So these are blessings attached to being considerate of the marginalized. That when you do those things, you consider those in need, that these are ways that God may bless you. And one of the first times I read that, the temptation for me as a Christ follower is like, okay, I want to be blessed by God, as we all do. Therefore, I, I need to just do these specific things. So I'm going to go and find somebody at Polaris this afternoon holding up a cardboard sign. I'm going to slip them a five, and I'm just going to wait for Jesus to bless me. That's not how this works. That's not what the, the, the Bible teaches. It's not what the gospel teaches. We really have to understand how the blessing of God works. And let me explain this to you, how this works. The blessing of God is going to occur in two ways. One is going to be the immediate blessing of God. And this is the one I believe that's more rare. It's going to be the immediate blessing of God. The second way that God blesses his people, I believe, is through delayed blessing. There's immediate blessing of God and delayed blessing. There will be times in your life as a Christ follower where you are, are obedient to the word of God and the blessing of God is going to immediately follow. It's just going to happen. It's just going to immediately follow you. That's the immediate blessing of God. But friends, more often than not, you will have to wait and experience the delayed blessing of God. One of the things that makes Living Hope Columbus so unique is I think for some reason, God in his kindness right now is allowing us to ride a wave of immediate blessing. And I don't know why he's doing it, and I'm very thankful he is, and I pray every day that we remain under this blessing that God has us in. I mean, because we could tell you story after story. I remember when we got that box truck and somebody paid for it. It was wonderful. Re Y'all remember this? I remember our Easter egg hunt of 2018, 20, 2019. That was the immediate blessing of God. You expect maybe six, 700 people and like 5,000 show up. It's awesome. And we shut everything down and said, we'll never do it again. All right? That was the immediate blessing of God. If you're a Facebook person, jump on Facebook this afternoon and see what happened this Sunday one year ago. One year ago, this Sunday, this stage was just sticks. It didn't exist yet. It was in process. What God has allowed us to experience and be involved in this last year is the immediate blessing of God. The Finding Hope Center, people's generosity, what Jesus has done with that to get that off the ground. Again, that's the immediate blessing of God. We're riding a wave of immediate blessing. and I don't know why God is allowing us to do that, but I'm okay with that. But I think as Christians, when we talk about serving people, we need to learn to really crave and, and be attached to delayed blessing. Because immediate blessings are not always going to happen. Delayed blessing is something that we need to be attached to. That's what we need to fight for. And here's what I mean by delayed blessing. You know what really drives me as a pastor when it comes to serving people? Is I think about you know, I was talking uh, to Joe this morning about going to pick up those cookies from that family. It's a second interaction. Then I talked to Jenny, our, one of our operations coordinator for the Finding Hope Center, and, you know, going back there to drop off a, a dish that we have to take back to them. It's going to be our fourth interaction with them in one month. Have we seen anything crazy from that immediate blessing? No, not yet. But you know what really drives me as a pastor? As I think to myself, my goodness, I wonder if 100 years from now when I'm praising in front of the throne of Jesus that there's going to be a, a husband and a wife that are from Egypt and they were part of the Muslim faith, but because obedient Christians who really loved people were willing to serve them on multiple occasions and they came to faith in Jesus, and I'm going to look over as I'm worshiping Jesus, I'm going to glance to my right and she's going to be there, and I'm going to glance to my left and he's going to be there, I'm going to glance behind me and their kids are going to be there because obedient Christians were willing to share the gospel with people who were part of a false religion. 
that's delayed blessing. It's being attached to the salvation of people and what God is going to do in eternity. I have to wonder what Jesus may do because some Christians last Wednesday that were part of our church were willing to sacrifice an hour of their time and they took Christmas meals to families here in the Dublin community and they prayed over them. What could Jesus do with that long term? I don't know. I think about the two ladies in our church last Sunday that went back to two older ladies' homes. These are all true stories that happened in our church in the past just few weeks. They went back to the homes of some elderly women that we met, and they took them plates of cookies and soup and said, could we just spend some time with you and just hang out? People that hadn't had human contact in months. What could Jesus do with that? I don't know, but I'm banking on eternity with that stuff. I'm wondering, Jesus, are you going to give us that blessing because we were obedient to your calling and loved the marginalized, that when living hope is worshiping around your throne, that we're going to see men and women and children that we served, and maybe we're not the ones that see that seed actually take root. Maybe it's a church that comes down the road. Maybe it's another Christian that comes down the road. I don't know, but that's the delayed blessing of God. That's what drives me. That's what I'm waiting on. That's what I've placed my my hope in. That's the good stuff stuff, people. Box trucks and church buildings and ministry centers are awesome, but salvation of souls is the good stuff. That's what I've signed up for. Pastor John, I'm getting a little excited. Go ahead and move some chairs for me, man. Friends, blessed are those who consider the poor. We've got three days until 2021. What's Jesus going to do through you this year, through this church? It's not going to be, we've turned, a, we've turned a chapter and a page at Living Hope Columbus where it's not about how Joe and I lead things anymore. There's too many leaders that are doing stuff in this church that are getting things off the ground. It's awesome. I, I, Christmas Eve, I showed up and I started trying to coordinate and orchestrate things. And finally, Thomas is like, we've got it all taken care of. You just need to speak. It's like, yes, it's awesome. Two weeks ago, when you all did the Finding Hope Center delivery, I got a text message on Friday night with a picture of all the stuff that, that Jenny and Dre had orchestrated to take out. I looked at my wife, and I was like, I didn't even know they were taking a delivery tomorrow. That's awesome. We've turned a page as a church where Jesus is raising up leaders right now like I've never seen before, and I'm so pumped. How are you going to be involved in helping people this next year? How are you, you going to serve the marginalized this next year? Don't live a boring Christian life because the opportunity is ever-present here at Living Hope, I promise you. Because the gospel travels fastest on the back of helping people. Let me pray for us. God, you're so good. Thanks for your kindness to this church. Jesus, I pray that you would keep us under your hand of blessing and favor in 2021. God, not to build a name for living hope. God, but to expand the kingdom to make Jesus more known across this community. God, to do more and exceedingly and abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. Father, we know our prayers just scratch the surface of what you can do in our community if we're willing to be obedient. God, would you give us the courage and the bravery to walk in obedience in 2021, to take risks in 2021 for the kingdom's sake, to pause and see people for the kingdom's sake to lay aside our agendas for the kingdom's sake. God, I pray that we never get tired of living in the middle of a miracle. Father, give us the spiritual eyes that we need to see that every week. Lord, I pray now as we sing that it would just be a sweet sound through the throne room of heaven. 
because you're so worthy of our praise today. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.